In this episode of Crunching Gears, myself, Kevin Dunning, and Connor Edwards catch up with Bex Williams. She tells us some fascinating tales of her time in WRC and also looks back in her time in the Irish Tarmac Rally Championship, where she made some great friends and has some great stories to tell. So sit back once again and enjoy. stood up and was counted and said this is not getting away i remember when we pulled on our helmets and donald says to me what are we doing i said we're going for gold bar welcome along to crunching gears uh season three episode seven um in this episode, I'm joined by Conor Edwards, who's going to help me out with a few questions, and we're speaking to the one and only Bex Williams. Bex, you're very welcome along. Oh, well, thank you very much for inviting me. I'm delighted to be here with you this evening. Yeah, thank you very much. As probably most people will know, Conor from Carsport and a few other publications where he does a bit of uh, writing and taking a few photographs. So, Conor, you're also very welcome along too, as I say. <laughs> Thanks, Kevin. Lovely to, to join you this evening and obviously lovely to be in such esteemed company as, as uh, the charming Bex Williams. <laughs> the charming, I like that. I might yeah. use that in my business cards. Trademark <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, TM. Yeah, yeah. So, like, I suppose really we'll have to ask the, the one question that you asked everybody else. Describe yourself in three words. Oh, <laughs> I knew that'd come back to bite me some point. <laughs> and you can't use charming. <laughs> Yeah, charming's gone. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna move charming aside because that. Oh, yeah. Oh, I know how people feel now, and I do it to them. Uh, happy, focused, and oh, oh, oh happy, focused, and oh, <laughs> this is really hard. This is really hard, actually. God, I'm going to rethink actually asking people this question now. <laughs> Happy, focused, and... Makes you appreciate Lock. it, I guess. Do come up with... No, no exactly. <laughs> exactly. Although some of them have already listened to the podcast, so they act surprised, but yeah. they're not. Yeah. Happy, focused, and loyal, I would say. Yeah, good. Lovely words there. So, um, growing up in Wales, we all know the motorsport heritage there. Was that was it something you had an interest in from an early age yourself? Or? Absolutely not, no. <laughs> uh, no, there was absolutely zero motorsport in my family. No one drove a car. My parents didn't drive. I have two older brothers. They didn't drive a car either. Um, and they're both quite substantially older than I am. Uh, so when I was young, there, you know, there was no cars in the family. So it was only ever with, you know, kind of our aunties or whatever other kind of members of the family that I would get to go in a car and I was always genuinely fascinated by how cars worked especially gears because I didn't really understand what the moving of the stick did in a car and when you know when you're young and no one could explain it to me really 
And I remember my brother, my, my middle brother, who was 10 years older than me, he got given a car by our grandfather in a bid to try and encourage him to learn to drive. And um, it just sat outside our house and he just didn't have any kind of inkling to, to drive it. So I used to go and sit in it all the time and pretend that I could drive and long for the day when I could get behind the wheel. Um, so, you know, that's as far as cars went and motorsport itself, nothing. My brothers would watch rallying on mm -hmm. TV um, and that's kind of where the bug came. They took me to a rally when I was very, very young, 1981, the RAC rally, which mm -hmm. took in part of uh, South Wales. I can't remember what stage. Well, I think we only went to two stages and I really can't remember what they were. Um, and the only thing I do remember of the event, because I think I was four at the time, four, three or four, I was very young. Um, I remember lights because it was, you know, kind of the darkness of November time, maybe. Um, I remember the lights and the car sound. And I remember the wellies that I was wearing because they were my favorite wellies. And I was able to squelch about in mud and puddles. And I loved that. Um, so that was my first taste of motorsport. But to say that that experience fueled me onto a career in motorsport would be a complete, you know, lie. Um, that came a lot, lot later on in life. And was journalism then was your, your chosen profession, I suppose? That's what you went through school? and Yeah, I mean, going through school, there were a couple of different things. So <clears> I wanted <throat> to be an actress. That was a main thing. So drama and acting was a main part of growing up for me. Um, I did a lot with like local theatre clubs. I worked on local hospital radio because I loved radio. Um, and I did a lot of that. And then when I, when I went to university, I kind of realised or in the process of growing up and doing your A-levels and everything that I wasn't so fussed on being, you know, the center of attention, center stage in front of a camera. That really wasn't me. I was more about producing things and being creative, coming up with ideas. And I really wanted to be <laughs> Steven Spielberg. That's what I wanted to be. I wanted to make films. So I went to university and I studied, I did a journalism degree coupled with theater arts. So still a bit of acting in there. But it was a journalism degree that um, encompassed journalism, first and foremost, but photojournalism as well. I learned how to uh, take pictures, develop them, even uh, the whole um, filming side of things as well. We learned how to make films, how to edit. It was a real mix of a degree mm. with journalism at, at the kind of the core of it. And yeah, when I left university then, I thought, you know, this is what I want to do when I go out into the world, this kind of thing, be behind the scenes, creating programs, whether it be films, whether I, you know, I get into television at all, lost my interest in radio completely. You know, it was all about images for me at that point. Mm -hmm. And yeah, two days after leaving university, I got home and because I've got such a really strong work ethic, I signed up to work in our local chocolate factory. So that was my first ever proper job. I was the female Willy Wonka. <laughs> and it was, I'd love to say it was a dream job working with chocolate. It wasn't, it had its moments. Yeah. Um, but it was, you know, a way of earning money because you leave university with nothing <laughs> minus yeah. <in> the bank <laughs> account in, in a big way. And the yeah. bank's threatening you pay back your loans and all the rest of it. And I just wanted to work. So I did that for about four months before I went to BBC Wales mm -hmm. work experience. I just wrote in to see if I could, you know, do something there. 
And I was very, very lucky that I spent a brilliant week there working in various departments. And then one of those departments called me about two weeks later and said, oh, you know, we have a job opening. Can you come in and do some work with us? And that started about, I'd say, nine months working at BBC Wales in the drama department, in music department, sport department. I ended up hosting, part hosting a radio show, a quiz show where I was a scorer. Um, and host but they were always really short contracts so you'd be employed for three weeks maybe or right. two weeks and it but was, it was a wee bit of everything that you weren't yeah, it was, so. yeah it was a it was a wee bit of everything you're right and BBC Wales is quite big you know it, it produces lots of programs mm -hmm. so it was a really good variation but I needed something more stable I needed a proper job which I could guarantee a wage every month mm -hmm. and so I you know I did a bit of work in the sports department of BBC Wales and I realized then that wow sport is yeah it's really positive stories most of the time you know 90% of the time it's people pushing themselves to their very limit to achieve something and unlike the news department let's say where it's doom and gloom and, and, yeah. and you know difficulties sport really kind of thrilled me and live sport especially I mean I, I'm a huge rugby fan so you know being around BBC Wells when the rugby is on as well there's this huge kind of buzz so I thought you know sport is is where I would like to work and I looked around Cardiff to see if there was a sport agency there and luckily enough I found one um, and this agency covered uh, rugby, golf, uh, ocean racing, um, cricket, and most importantly, motorsport. It covered rallying and circuit racing. And I applied for a job there just doing admin stuff. They needed someone just to help out. And that was Greg Strange's company. And that was back in 99, in the summer of 99. Mm -hmm. And I went for an interview with him and <laughs> found this weirdly um eclectic man who was so much into his sport very very posh uh, I was just a bit kind of intimidated by him at first and we had this incredible chat and I remember he wrote something on the top of my CV which I'd given to him and you know I kind of left the interview and I got the job there and months later I found my CV in the filing cabinet and he'd written at the top made me laugh <laughs> <laughs> so I'd made him laugh and that had obviously sealed the deal for yes. Greg. I got uh -huh. the job on on that. But he said to me that, like, the first day I joined, he said, you know, I've, I've, I've hired you, but I don't really want you to do any of these admin roles. He said, I'd like you to, to be a reporter for the company if journalism is your thing, you know, and you like sport and blah, blah, blah. What, what do you think about doing some work that way? And I was like, well, yeah. And Greg's, I think Greg is pretty famous for throwing people in right at the deep end. I mean, there, there's no middle ground or there was no middle ground with Greg. He just would just push you into things and you either. you either, or swim. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it was sink or swim situations. Um, uh, and luckily it, it, it worked out OK for me. Um, my first I, my first gig with him was actually a rally gig. It was a, the WRC in 1999. <laughs> Um, I think it would, would have been the Network Q Rally of Great Britain at that uh -huh. point. Yeah. And we were based, uh, the service part was based at Cheltenham Racecourse. Mm -hmm. And yeah, my job was to do at the time, um, this, is, this is what he did for WRC. So he worked for BBC Five Live doing reports okay. for BBC Five Live. And then the rest of us, there were a couple of other reporters, 
we would do radio reports for other BBC stations across the country and yes. independent stations as well. So, okay. you know, even independent stations in Ireland as well. Oh, yeah. um, mm -hmm. So you would, you know, go on a Saturday afternoon, you would go live into their news broadcast, their sports broadcast. You mm -hmm. do a 30 second update on what was happening in the rally and off you went. And then you did the next one. And it was like a little conveyor belt. You would have a little Glen sound kit, which we would take around with us and dial into all these stations and tell them what was happening on the rally and then disappear away again. Yeah. Um, oh, do you have to find a local angle, say you were reporting them you, to... Yes, yeah, like, yeah, you did. Radio Ulster or whatever, yeah, you had to find exactly. a local angle. So yeah. we, you know, the, the preparation before it, we would have the, the full entry list and we would be going through where every driver and co-driver was from. And then we'd get in contact with their local radio station, tell them what we were doing. And they would be like, yes, we would love something or what is rally <laughs> it was it was never really the middle ground it was always one extreme mm -hmm. to another so yeah i mean it, we'd be obviously talking about the top guys at mm -hmm. the, the front of our reports and then it would be and um, you know i don't know whoever from Car whatever town is, yeah, but, is yeah. back in 107th place right now but yes. they're leading their class um, so it was quite a lot to kind of keep up with during the event because you know, the technology wasn't there back in the day to find out how everyone was doing. No, you didn't just pick out your phone and start scrolling to see where everybody no, was. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> no, exactly. No, I mean, exactly. It, it was very early days of mobile phones even back then, I think. Um, so you literally had a timing screen and that was it. And then any news that was coming into rally control um, that you would go and bug, well, you know, have you heard what's happened to Car 97 and blah, blah, blah. Yeah, it was, it was fun. It was frenetic. Um, but it was, you know, fun times. And that was my first real taste then of, you know, WRC machinery mm -hmm. from, you know, since when I was young. I, I followed rallying on TV growing up because yeah. I still had an interest, but it wasn't a, I would never say it was a passion growing up no. in my teenage years. There were other things going on, but I kept a watching brief and I used to follow the results on CFAX. Then when I was in university, because my housemates had absolutely no interest in cars whatsoever mm -hmm. um so you know if i, I remember following uh, rally new zealand um when uh, mccray won um and that was all through cfax and all the rest so, of it that's all we had <laughs> yeah that, exactly that is all you had to find out what the results were and then you know if you were lucky to catch highlights programs or whatever mm -hmm. if they were if they were being broadcast yeah. um so yeah it was yeah, that 99 was then my first kind of, oh, here we go. Here's the cars. And my first sighting of a car was the the Fords going, coming from scrutineering, going round and roundabout at the top of Cheltenham Racecourse and then down into the service area. Mm -hmm. And that was just like goosebump moment for me, seeing them. And then having the opportunity to go and speak with them. Did that come later or did, did uh, you speak I, to them? I, that no, I did do a few interviews in 99, uh, but it wasn't with, I don't think it was with the, like the very top guys. Um, it was mostly the radio reports. That came later, would have been the next year. My first interview <clears> was Carlos Sainz. So as your first ever WRC driver <laughs> interview, it couldn't get much bigger at the time. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I, I remember being pretty intimidated by it because, you know, I was, you know, quite young. He's a huge star. You're worried about what you're going to ask. More worried about what he's going to say to you and whether you're actually going to understand what he's saying to be able to ask him a really good next question because yeah. that's always the concern. It's not the first question. It's the one after. 
and he just before I started interviewing him, he he decided that he was going to eat a biscuit. So he had a bourbon biscuit <laughs> in his mouth, and I was like, "Shall we wait?" And he was like, "No, no." So he's you know he is charming, Carlos Sainz, yeah. definitely over me any day. Um, he was you know carry on, just you know ask your questions. But it, you know it was a lovely experience, and I was very lucky to into him many many times after that until he retired. Uh, but yeah, he was the first. Always remember him. <laughs> exactly, you always remember you first. <laughs> so then, like you know, Greg Strange come up with this and initiative or an innovative idea as opposed crazy to crazy hairbrain idea yeah. i think is what you want to say That's because the, yeah. it's what, it's what <laughs> yeah. we all said at the yes. time mm -hmm. i i mentioned this in an interview recently i did an interview last week and we were talking about greg and you know rally radio and how it started and obviously greg had traveled with the wrc doing reports for for bbc5 live and he'd done that for a few years and then that kind of that changed um and he wanted to create well, he really wanted people to know what was happening with rally around the world mm -hmm. because he knew and he could see that there was a distinct lack of information on you know rallying no one could really keep up in real time with what was going on um and wrc.com was just about to launch then brand new wrc.com website in 2002 and in 2001 greg talked about this idea a lot and it wasn't you can't say it was a blisteringly new idea because lots of rallies like Rally GB, Rally Finland, they had their own radio stations. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, Rally, Rally Radio in Finland is run by the, the national broadcaster. It's like BBC doing Rally okay. Radio in right. this country. Yes. Uh -huh. um, their national broadcaster does their Rally Radio there and they, they have about 30 to 35 people working on it. It's incredible. And I remember Greg sitting down with me and saying, you know, this is this is what he was thinking and you know how did I think that it could run how could we do this and Chris Rawls who also worked for the company Chris works or uh, has been working for the past like, 10 years on ERC um, Chris was our technical director at the time so he came up with every technical solution ever and you know Greg, Greg would say to him this is what I want to do how are we going to make it work and you could see Chris's mind just going <laughs> how are we how are we going to do this and you know I was feeling the same because he's like yeah, you know, we'll be we'll be on air for about 10 hours a day as long as the rally runs. And my eyes are wide, thinking, Jesus Christ, how are we going to do 10 hours a day? Said, Greg, how, who, who's going to, how are you, how, who is going to talk for 10 hours a day? He, he said, yeah, well, I'm going to need a, you know, a host. I was like, well, who's going to do that? I was like, well, you are, you're going to be my host. I was like, Craig, I can't talk for 10 hours a day on rallying. I was like, I don't think anyone could talk for 10 hours a day on rallying. Oh, you'll have other people and we'll have guests and you'll, you'll have someone as a co-presenter and don't worry, it'll all work out. And this is typical, Greg, it'll all work out, it'll all work out. So he has the idea and it's like a little grenade. He throws it at you. Yes. And then you have to work out how it all happens. Mm -hmm. and, and Chris, I think, was really stressed with it and he did a brilliant job with technically making it work. I remember we, uh, so our first rally, our first WRC event for Rally Radio was 2002 Rally Monte Carlo. You can't get a bigger event yeah. to start on. Mm -hmm. And it was the launch of a brand new WRC.com and we were live on that. Um, and so there was a lot of pressure to get it right. And I remember picking Chris up at Nice Airport and um, he was in the arrivals hall, so still picking up his baggage and kind of the, the doors opened and all I could see was Chris with two big 
trolleys full loaded with flight cases full of equipment because we had to carry the whole radio station with us so huge mixing desks speakers the stuff for streaming because now you and I are talking to each other through our laptops we could do this on the phone it's so easy to stream anything now (laughs) well back then it was a far more complicated job and he spent days setting everything up and it was quite stressful. And then all of a sudden we were live and the rally was happening and we had to start talking. And uh-huh. yeah, it was crazy, crazy days. I think there was there was myself, there were two other presenters at the time, Chris and Greg, all of us together trying to make it work. Uh-huh. And then that eventually over the years got whittled down to basically me, Chris, <laughs> a stage end reporter. Um, and then it kind of got a little bit bigger again, but it was always a core, core group of two or three people on events. Nothing more than that to make it yeah. work. And it's not unbelievable broadcasting to like, millions. Well, it was, was incredible at the time a... because you know <laughs> we set up an email address called radio at wrc.com and we forgot about it during the event. We totally forgot about this email address, and we we kept saying it like, "Oh, email in, email in, radio at wrc.com." <laughs> But because we were all so nervous and so frantic about what the hell are we doing next in this segment that we yeah. forgot about the emails. And I remember turning to Chris and saying, where are all the emails? And he was like, oh, well, I haven't, I haven't kind of updated the <laughs> thing to, for them to download. And then all of a sudden, boop, 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 all these emails started downloading and people are listening all over the world. And all of a sudden you're like, oh, actually, people are listening to what we're doing right now. This, is a, tad, this is a tad scary. Yeah. And we had a lot of that first year in 2002 was it was a huge learning curve in, in many, many different ways. And we failed on a lot of things, to be honest. Um, it was very tough. It was very tough technically. I mean, we didn't do any stage end reports then. Um, because the technology really wasn't there even though kind of mobile phones were just at their beginning you couldn't there were no attachments to to get microphones into them and it was just it was all too early on or Mm -hmm. it was just starting and even when we did find a solution then you wouldn't get signal wherever you were because the cell networks just weren't the capability Uh it was so basic in terms of mobile phones you know that improved over the years but still you know we could go to to Wales Rally GB and be in the depths of mid Wales and you're still not going to get a phone signal even in this day and age. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it, it, you know, over the years, we all learned a, a huge amount about how to broadcast, what people liked, how to do the job. And then it became very, um, I, I suppose, formulaic, the coverage and in, in how you did it because you, you knew what worked, you knew mm-hmm. what people liked. Um, but it was, yeah, it was, it was a lot, a lot of fun. It was a lot of hard work. Yeah. It could be exceptionally stressful when technology let you down. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, if, if technology did leave us down <laughs> at stage ends, if we couldn't get signal or things happened, then it would be on my shoulders just to talk. And I remember Lisa, our producer, who was our producer from 2012, properly onwards. She'd done a few good few events with us over the years as a presenter, as a stage end reporter, but she became our main producer in 2012 when when things changed and we left Greg's company and we kind of took the radio on board ourselves. And I remember Lisa many, many times saying to me, Bex, just, I've lost Colin. I've lost Colin or I've lost Emma. I've lost whoever's at the stage end. Bex, Uh just talk, just keep talking, just talk. Just, (laughs) 
and I and I'd be talking for five minutes. And you know, the only communication Lisa and I had back to each other because she would be in London, I'd be on event, was by Skype chat or messenger chat or whatever. And I'd just be typing to her, going, "How much longer? (laughs) Only so much I can keep saying. (laughs) It's only so much I can say." You're looking to Twitter for messages and here and there and. And then as soon as you got Colin, I'd be like, oh, great. Colin, just just talk for it. Tell me, tell me what you can see. Paint a picture with words just so I could have a breath. <laughs> and then he'd be, sometimes he'd be in like a, oh, well, it's not much. Yeah, a little bit of concrete and that's about it. No, keep going, Colin. Tell me what color the concrete is or whatever. Just, yeah. just, to, just, just, just to have a little bit of a break from it all. But the radio days were definitely fun. And I think we can all... We all look back on the time that radio had in the championship with with great fondness. Um, but, you know, as as much as it was a huge positive because it was the only live element mm-hmm. that, that was there, it you know, it was difficult to get it together because you had to get money for it every year. You know, it didn't just happen on its own. Um, I had to find funding for it. Um, and, you know, we we all worked really hard to do that. And that got harder every single year mm-hmm. to get the money to keep that side of things going mm-hmm. i was going to just jump in there why, why was that considering that was really the main medium for staying you know in real time up to date with what was going on you'd think yeah. because it was so you know ahead of itself in that sense that it would be very easy to get funding for no <laughs> yeah i know you would wouldn't you but no i mean i think basically connor at the end of the day people don't want to spend money if they don't have to. And there was always a wrangling between um, whatever promoter it was at the time and and the manufacturers. And in the end, they all contributed to the radio. Um, So all the manufacturers paid, you know, an equal share. So did the promoter as well. But, you know, as and most of them were happy to pay it because, as you say, that was the only way they could they could get it. But there was always with some people, there was a reticence to to pay it. It was a difficult chat at the end of every year. Because, you know, everyone will always say, oh, why aren't they paying that? Why aren't they contributing? Why aren't they? It's like, well, That's somebody else's problem almost. Yeah, it's uh, because, you know, understandably, you know, they have their budgets and the budgets are tight. Um, so, you know, the little or the less amount of money that they can spend, the better. But I, I have to say a huge thank you to, to all of them for keeping us going for so, so many years. Um, but obviously that all changed when all live came in and that's a brand new service and and to be fair to the wrc promoter they were fantastic at the time because they wanted us to work with them on all live and they were happy to you know for the radio to to keep going alongside it as well um but you know the drop away in terms of the audience from the radio because people were watching all live obviously mm. and the fact that the manufacturers didn't have to pay for the radio anymore no one yeah. had to pay for the radio they had another service now meant that it was its days were numbered mm-hmm. um but i think you know when you look back and i think it went out on on a high because we all loved doing what we were doing with the radio yeah. and it, it's a special medium and you you get so much passion through it and I think it, it works everyone's brains because you have to use your imagination with, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. with what with what we're telling you, with what we're saying to you. And, mm-hmm. and people just imagine the, the visions at the stage ends and what things are like in the service park just from 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 your voices. Um, but now people can actually 
see everything that's going on. And I've got to be honest, it was a hell of a shock to me when we started all live because I spent years and years just looking at timing screens and tracking maps and having my stage end reporters and basing everything on what they were telling me on what I could see and read from timings. If someone's lost 10 seconds, and you know you're watching maps and I swear to god that's why I'm losing my vision now is because I've stared without blinking <laughs> at screens for years to watch if dots change yes. color or not um but and then to actually see at Rally Monte Carlo back in 2018 when we started to actually physically see cars on a stage to watch onboards live I couldn't talk. That was my job. It was to talk and to speak. I, I was just sad. I was mesmerized. Just watching what was happening. And it was like, I don't know what to say because <laughs> I, I, I'm blown away by what I'm seeing. Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm, I'm used to it. You know, but at the time, it was like, hell, this is great. You can actually see everything that's going on now. But it, it took a, a, a different level of communication. You were, yeah. Up to that, you were like, you know, trying to almost put pictures to th- those dots yeah you had the pictures and you had to you know roll back from exactly I don't have to do the 90 mile an hour talking anymore <laughs> yeah. fill every because you know on radio you you don't want any gaps no dead air it's all got to be talked over but now you don't have to talk so much and that took a little bit of getting used to at the same time so at first I couldn't speak because I couldn't get used to the images and then I was going into a kind of radio chat you're thinking no I don't need to talk I can listen to the co-driver here and mm-hmm. yeah it took a little while to to get used to it all I have to say but mm-hmm. I I think it's the the best step the championship has taken um in in terms of moving coverage forward and the fact that it has such a a big audience on all live but it also goes out to broadcasters around the world so you know for instance it's on bt sport on the red button you can get all live there mm-hmm. and the fact that so many people are taking it i think it's great that it's got such a you know wide reach absolutely, absolutely. and like you went from sitting in you know a box basically you know looking at dots and then you started going out and meeting the crews and, you know, servers and your media zones and all that. Ah, uh, but I did that all of that before. before that, yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, yeah. All, yeah. I mean, more probably, well, no, I probably do more now, but during, yeah, I mean, every service break on the radio, it was me because uh-huh. I'm the only one in the service park. Yeah. So, you know, every service park, I was interviewing drivers, um, you know, and I've hosted the FIA press conference since 2008, the mm-hmm. pre and post event press conference meet the crews every day um our little which we don't do at the moment because of covid so yeah i mean the drivers are pretty sick of me to be honest and they have been since 2003 since i started doing all of that so you know i've been in every single media zone and were you welcomed at the start you know like we know how male dominated it is it is male dominated (laughs) there's no question um yes i was welcomed at the start i think you know, it was a bit of a, at the start, maybe a bit of a peculiarity that there was, you know, me walking around with a microphone and asking charming questions. Um, I've never felt at any point unwelcome because, you know, I'm a female in a male-dominated sport, never felt that. Um, I think it's really important. I'm very much of the mind of it doesn't matter what sex you are, you're either good at your job or you're not. Um, and okay, and maybe I have tried and pushed myself a bit further because I'm in a male dominated sport and I wanted to be accepted. So I worked 
damn hard to get where I am. This hasn't come easy doing, doing or being where I am today. You, you work hard and I want to be the best at what I do. You know, mm -hmm. I, I don't want to do anything half-heartedly. Um, and I love what I do. And hopefully that shows in, in the work. But I've never really, it never felt, you know, no one's Maybe ever said anything. Been, none, of, yeah. none of the drivers or co-drivers. I've had a few moments with spectators over the years. Mm -hmm. um, but just purely, you know, I've been, I tell a story and it's, it's true. And it was with, I was with Colin at the time. And he just, he just joined us in 2005. And he just started interviewing with us. And we were at the Mitsubishi garage and Gigi Garley was there. And we went outside and someone was asking Colin questions about the car that Gigi Garley was driving. And, you know, who had driven it before? Well, you know, which one was it? Blah, blah, blah. And Colin just said, oh, he said, I don't know. I don't know. Ask her. I No idea. No idea, mate. Ask her. He, the guy would not look at me would not look at me would not ask me a question it was all directed at Colin and he, he you know he was just like I have no idea Oscar new here uh -huh. um yeah I think it was like his second event with us uh, but you know that's the only thing yeah. I can you know, think of from over the years yes um yeah I've, I've never felt it and I, I don't think it, it's just I don't know whether it's because it's rallying and it's a bit of a you know it's a bit different to other sports maybe I've worked in lots of different sports um, you know, a lot of my friends will say a lot of my female friends will be like, oh God, you're surrounded by men 24 seven. I was like, yeah, but I don't, I don't think of it like that. It's yeah. just, you know, it's, that's your work. That's your it's job. just yeah. my job. It's <laughs> just, that's just normal. And it, mm -hmm. I never think of it as, you know, being a female in a male dominated sport. When I started, there weren't many female journalists. There were two of us at the time. That was mm -hmm. it on events. There was myself and a, a lady from Germany, Andrea, and that was all there was really. Um, my friend Sam Lloyd, um, she was there when I started and then she went off and did something different. So there really wasn't too many women around, but more and more it, it has become there's more female journalists. There's a lot of female PRs and females in, in high positions within WRC, but not there wasn't so many journalists, but there are mm. a few more now. And those early years too, you know, like we had, you know, five, six WRC teams, you know, you had Peter Solberg and his plum at that time, you know, Mr. Hollywood. Did that make selling the sport so much easier than, you know, in later years, whenever it was down to two teams? Was it, did it make it harder to fill the airtime maybe, I suppose, what I'm trying to say? <clears throat> yeah, I think, yeah, back then there was a lot to talk about because there was, you know, there was just so many more cars. Um who was I talking with? Oh, it was Yari Matty in the podcast. We were talking about this the other day that, you know, there were, when he did his first rally GB in 2002, there were 30 plus WRC cars. You know, it, it's insane to think about it now, but that was just our normality. That's the way it was. And then it got really whittled down. Um, do you know what? We always found stories. I mean, it would have been, yes, it would have been easier back in that day because there were so many high profile stories. But then what you find is the more WRC cars you have, the less time you have for the other championships. So we did focus a lot on what would it have been back then with a production championship and the junior championship and, you know, any locals competing because, you know, we would be on air a long time as well. <laughs> and, you know, if we, if we had, you know, our stage and reporters out there, 
you, you'd keep them at the stage end as long as possible to fill fill the time for <laughs> for the station, but also to cover these drivers. So you found other interesting stories, and I think that's why we, you know, I have certainly a lot of memories with people like Sebastian Ogier back in 2008 because we were there from the very start of his career interviewing him mm-hmm. and and chatting with him whereas you know maybe other forms of media weren't even looking there at the time they weren't really focused on the junior championship unless that person was from their country mm-hmm. so unless it was a local yeah, story as such uh, exactly yeah really unless it was know. a local story so I think yeah, as when the, when the World Rally cars did kind of peter out, we did just have Citroen and Ford at one point. Um, you, you focus on the other stories. You do. You manage to fill the time. I mean, we always have done. We always have done. So, mm. yeah. I mean, it, it's really funny, isn't it? Because a lot of people look back with huge nostalgia and rose-tinted lenses to the good old days, and I'm I'm just not like that as a person, yeah. really. Um, I like the present. I like where we are. I enjoy where we are right now with rallying. I'm really looking forward to a brand new era of it all coming in. But that doesn't set, that doesn't mean I didn't completely and utterly love that time. I think yeah. 2003 for me stands out as one of my favourite years yeah. in the sport. And you know, Petter winning at the end of a magnificent season for him. And it was our second season or my second full season in WRC. And I felt that year I'd, I'd found my feet a bit. You know, I knew where we were going when we were going to rallies now. <laughs> Knowing your way around the local area always helps. Yeah. And, you know, technical issues we kind of ironed out a little bit. So, yeah, I, I felt like I found my feet in 2003. And it was a hugely enjoyable year for, for many, many reasons. I, and like Petter at the end of Rally GB, like, you, you know, have we ever talked about needing pictures to you know a picture paints a thousand words? Yeah, like he he painted millions there within a space of a few minutes, didn't he? It he did. But you know what? Roller coaster, I have it? such good memories of it before it even start before the rally started. So I think it was just after shakedown. We were all at Subaru waiting for Petter to come in and be interviewed, and there's a gaggle of journalists there, and um, I think it was a guy from Sky News at the time who felt a bit unwell. And he gave me his microphone and said, can you do this interview for me? Because I don't feel very well. And I was a bit like, oh, shit. (laughs) TV man's just asked me to do an interview for him. It's Sky News. And I was like, oh, good God, thinking I was just doing my own radio interview. That would be lovely. Mm -hmm. And Petter comes walking towards us all. And he's so cool and calm and relaxed, considering now he is, you know, fighting for the championship title. And he's like, hey, everyone. And he puts everyone at ease instantly. And, you know, I'm the first then to, it's it's a classic. That's the only thing I will say, being female in the sport, everyone (laughs) says, ladies first. (laughs) And it's such an excuse by the male journalist to go, you go in and ask the difficult (laughs) questions first sometimes. Go on, you go in. Um, But on that occasion, it was that ladies first. I was like, oh, no, everyone's going to be listening to everything I say. And he was so fantastic. But it's what struck me about him is how relaxed he was, because I expected him to be quite tense and, you know, a bit cagey. But no, not at all. And we it was kind of at the end of November. And I remember we were having a Christmas dinner that evening and I pulled a cracker and a little heart popped out of it like a necklace with the number seven on it which was his number 
So the next day I was like, look what came out of the cracker. I said, it's a sign better. It's a sign. He's like, yes, it definitely is. <laughs> is with the big characters in the sport, you know, is it easy or is it harder actually, you know, to interview those, those, those types of those personalities? Like, do you know what you're going to get or is it the unexpected? Do you concern yourself with that or is it a worry? What that makes me sound sensible or? I think I'm, I'm in a, quite a, a kind of a privileged position in that I've grown up or they've grown up with me a lot of these drivers so I've known them from when they were very young um, and okay some of them can be quite big characters but because I've known them for so long I'm not I suppose I'm not I'm not intimidated to to interview anyone at all anymore that left me about 10 years ago um, when you come to someone like Andrea Adamo, for example, who I didn't know when he came into the championship, and he is a big character and interesting to interview because he's he's a challenge, you know, uh, but he always had a bit of a, a challenge with me because I like a challenge. So I would always come back at him if he gave out at me, which a lot of journalists don't. Some of them will will back off and disappear. But I find it fun to interview people. And if they are difficult, then I'm even more difficult back to them. And I think that can be a, a bit of a key. It's like interviewing Oit Tanak, who is um, the most insightful driver when he wants to talk. When he wants to tell you stuff, the way he explains things is, is quite incredible. But it takes a lot to get him to that point. There can be a lot of yeses, nos oh, the sky is black, isn't it? No, it's blue. He will, you know, contradict anything you say. Um, but once he then, he cracks, once you've cracked him, he's uh -huh. a different person. But yeah, there are, you know what, big character. Who would you say, I'm going to ask you two now, who would you say is the biggest character in the sport right now? No, I suppose, I have to look at the somebody like Bryn, you know, mm -hmm. is very, you know, wears his heart in his sleeve. Uh, Yari Mati, you know, still, I suppose, in the team role. Yeah. Uh, Oje, Oje, even since he's won to M Sport, seems to have almost become more of an ambassador for the sport as well, more than just the... Yeah, uh, I agree with you there. He's yeah. definitely an ambassador for the sport, isn't he? Mm -hmm. He's chilled out over the years because yeah. he was a real firecracker back in mm -hmm. the early days because he had such a lot to to prove and he wasn't treated very well in the early days of his yeah, career. True. So... He had a real fire in his belly and a want to prove himself. And that came across as really quite arrogant at the beginning. And I remember him, get, you know, we used to love him to interview him because he'd come out with all these incredible things. He really, you know, would say is whatever was in his mind, it just came out of his mouth without thinking about it. And he talks a lot about that now, about how kind of headstrong he was back in the day and maybe said things he shouldn't which we all love, but now there is no better person to talk about WRC than him. He's, he's very positive about the championship. He speaks so, so well, and he's got a huge passion for it. Absolutely, you know, and like Yari Matley, you know, the ultimate bubble hatter as well, if everyone else like he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the passion just oozes out of him. And Craig bring the same, you know, like yeah. what, what he doesn't know about rallying, Irish rally in particular, like, he knows about car 102 and Galway in 1992 or something, you know? Like, yeah, I'm, I'm <laughs> discovering that. You know, he's coming out with all kinds of things. What I like about Craig, though, is is the emotion because yeah. he just, he can't hide it, can he? And I yeah. like that. I like that he doesn't even try. It just, if he's feeling fantastic, he says it. If he isn't, he yeah. says it. 
Mm-hmm. And, you know, the tears will just, you know, freely form. But his poor mum, Jackie, because he always blames her. My mum <laughs> brought me up to be soft. But we all love it. <laughs> it is good to have characters like that. And, you know, but year in, year out, you will hear people say, oh, we don't have characters in the sport like we used to. Because everyone loves saying like we used to, like yeah. it was back then. It's like, geez, wake up, people. Oh, here and now, here and now. Yeah, mm-hmm. Yeah, because uh, like the number they were saying, wasn't it? Andreas was at Volkswagen, and the first few events he was kind of saying what he, he felt, and then all oh, no, he's been he's been sort of like penned in, told you know, to the party line and all that. But like Andreas never changed. It was just you know he had less to say because the car was good or whatever, yeah. really. You know, so mm-hmm, it was just. But you know, it's this whole thing. Oh, it used to be better back in the eighties. It was better back in the nineties. I think we, yeah, you know, there are elements that were. You know, there are yeah. always. But yeah. you know, we can't always say that. Yeah. Um, you know, we can't. I mean, I remember we were just talking about the thinning of the the WRC cars, and when we just had Citroen and Ford, and what was difficult doing the coverage then is that people used to regularly say oh there's just you know there's not enough world rally cars there's not enough competition that's why loads winning all the time and then now people look back on that age and go oh yeah well I loved it then that's and you're like well, hold on well I, hold on if I remember rightly your emails into the radio studio you used to say that this was a rubbish time so make up your mind yeah. or just accept that everything's great right now and we're yeah. enjoying rallying right now because yeah, like and, you know in the 80s rallies were won by 10 or 15 minutes yeah no 10 or 15 can you imagine seconds? reporting yeah. on that yeah I, i'm sorry yeah and mm-hmm. he's now 15 minutes in the lead mm-hmm. yeah. oh, we await the next battle on the next yeah. stage <laughs> no <laughs> i'm loving the fact everything is so close right now yeah. and we have title fights every yeah. year that are going down to the wire yeah 10 that's... 15 seconds may cover the top three or four you hear, yeah you know, and that's brilliant you yeah. know and, and it's I, you know i think it's an incredible nod to how incredibly competitive our drivers are now mm-hmm. you know the okay rallying has changed it's not as long as it used to be back in the day yeah. um but i think the events are a perfect length now to give us thrilling battles mm-hmm. and to, I, you know keep us on the edge of our seats i mean yeah. anything over a 20 second lead now if it's over 20 seconds i'd be like oh, rally's won isn't it it's mad that we're yeah. just so we're so used to these really close finishes mm-hmm. yeah. and I, I you know I, I really hope that you know that continues on I'm, I'm sure it will do yeah because you, you have to you know take your heart off to the, you know, the FIA for coming up with these regulations that you know three different manufacturers have produced cars that are within one or two seconds a stage off each other yeah you know like they're all coming but how regularly people are setting exactly the same times yeah. on stages as well yeah mm-hmm. it's just it kind of does blow you away and i think some people miss that point yeah. it's that look how close this competition is right yeah. now it's... Mm-hmm. like three different teams three different factories have looked at these regulations and thought we need to extract the maximum out of this and they've all come out from different angles yeah. and produced something that can do that over like 30 kilometers can produce yeah. a car that will be to within a tenth of a second it's unbelievable isn't it really it you is know, it is unbelievable it mm-hmm. is you know i'm i'm really loving it but i've i've loved it for over 20 years now and i can't see that changing anytime soon mm-hmm. to be honest yeah. and i suppose we just should say you got the opportunity was it 2013 14 to get a run in one of the hyundai's at the time <laughs> is that yes. a, a day you look back fondly on do you know what i've had 
I've had lots of opportunities over the years to be able to, to do it. And for whatever reason, it hasn't happened. And sometimes it hasn't happened because I am a, I should have said this in my three words, but they're two words, so I couldn't. <laughs> control freak. You know, I like to be in control in a car. If I haven't got the steering wheel, I'm a horrific passenger. Really awful. Every time I get into the car with someone new, which happens a lot on events with us, you know, if we're, you know, I meet someone at the airport and, you know, let's say our producer is driving or the editor is driving. I'm like, yeah. are you a crazy driver? Are you, are you, how quick do you drive? Are you a good driver? Would you consider yourself a good driver? How would you rate yourself out of 10? <laughs> exactly. I'm like, would you rather I drove? And they're like, no. <laughs> no. Um, so yeah, getting in the car with, it wasn't just Thierry. It was you, Hohanan as well that day. So mm -hmm. it was Thierry. Was it? Yeah, that's right. It was Thierry first. And he didn't realize that it was my first time in a world rally car. Thierry actually thought I used to compete. <laughs> so he was really shocked. Well, it, was, it wasn't, I mean, I have driven a rally car before, but that's a whole other story. Um, but he thought I used to compete. And he, he, was, he was like, I don't understand. He was like, how come you know so much if you haven't competed? I'm like, that's a massive compliment, Thierry, but yeah. can I drive? <laughs> would you like me to drive? How would you rate yourself out of 10? <laughs> um and yeah that whole experience I mean it was I have to say I was extremely nervous because I wasn't sure if I could trust myself not to pull handbrake or or something or react like that so and I said this to him and he was like oh just keep your hands to yourself <laughs> was his line. I was like oh my god so what you see in the video of that is complete real emotion it's just all the nervous energy coming out into these ridiculous yeah. mm -hmm. screams and yahoos and and he got on board of it as well he was saying yahoo by the end of it because we did about six runs i think in total um yeah and then he got out of the car and i was about to get out they were like no 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 stay in yuho hananen's gonna do six runs and i was like oh god i'm not sure i can do it <laughs> you know, I, don't know. I don't know I'm not sure and then Yuho gets in and he's Do the checklist again. <laughs> I know how would you rate yourself out of 10 as a driver <laughs> checklist all over again um and Yuho is so smooth as a character he's you know he gets in he gives me the little wink uh -huh. you're like oh shit this is gonna be really bad now yeah, be and <laughs> he's so much more aggressive driving than than Thierry style is really quite smooth but Yuho, oh blimey, my back after the jumps that we did because it was the FAF stage. Okay. So we did the the big FAF jump. Well, I did it twelve. No, if we did, yeah, I did it twelve times. My back at the end of it, but it was after Yuho's runs yeah. because he was so aggressive. And I got out of the car. Well, I fell out of the car. I think <laughs> I couldn't quite stand by the end of the experience. But it was it was amazing. I I would love to do it all over again. <laughs> Potentially, if I can control my myself, but it, so, it is that. Any just, teams out there listening? Tell tell me that you feel the same though about being in control in a car. Are you bad passengers? Are you good passengers? Don't really you don't care, do you? Yeah. Oh, I see. Yeah. No, I would just. It, so getting in a car with someone like Craig Breen, who I know would rag it if I was in the passenger seat, yes. it wouldn't be happening. You'd be like, no, thank you. He wouldn't pass the test. <laughs> no, you would not pass the checklist. <laughs> you would not pass the checklist. No, but that, that was a really good experience, I have to say. It was really good. And I I think WRC put it out again. Was it just before Portugal? And they didn't tell me they were doing it. So they'd unearthed this, you know, YouTube video of my run with Thierry. And 
I just looked on Facebook one day. I'm not a massive fan of Facebook, so I don't go on there very often. And the first thing I saw when I went on was me <laughs> in the car. And I was like, no, <laughs> what have they done? Why are they doing this to me? You'd hope and people have forgot about this. <laughs> exactly. I thought this was dead and buried now. And my stomach goes over there thinking, oh, people are going to be seeing this, thinking she's an absolute ass. Oh, well, it was fun. That's all I can say. It was fun. If there was one car or one driver that you would want to sit with, who would that be? Oh, that's a good question. <laughs> who, who do you trust the most? Yeah, it would be. Oh. Can I pick two? Yep. We'll bend the rules for you. <laughs> I'm going to be, I, people are going to think I'm really dull by saying it now, but it would be Seb Loeb and then Seb Ogier. So I can, you know, compare and contrast. And I trust them both. Well, I trust Ogier more than I trust Loeb because I think Loeb would, Loeb would ignore the checklist and go <laughs> mad because it's the kind of character he is. But car wise, what would I pick? What would I pick? I'm going to pick two cars. I'm going to pick the Metro 6R4. Ooh. And I'm going to pick the Ford Focus. Well, you've just made Kevin's night by picking the Metro. It is one of my favourite rally cars. Yeah. My favourite rally car is one of my favourites. I have too yeah. many to name just one. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I suppose looking a wee bit closer to home, mm. the Irish Time Rack Rally Championship come back in 2017. What's it been? When I think I first did it in 15. 15, oh. sorry, yeah, you're right, sorry. I could say you're done on it, yeah. No, so. Do you know what? I'm useless with, with years, yeah. so you might be yeah. right. Who knows? Yeah. No, People think, will no, ask think, me no, things no. and go, you did this in that year. I'm like, you're right, no, I? you're right, sorry, you are right. Uh, like, uh, you know, uh, was it a culture shock coming from WRC <laughs> to the Termite Championship? I remember being in Galway and uh, we'd just come, we'd just done Monte Carlo and we'd done the huge launch of the championship in Casino Square. And then I'm in Air Square <laughs> for the Galway Rally. And yeah, quite a contrast. But I have to say, no, it wasn't a culture shock at all. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was, it was definitely an experience, but a really happy experience because everyone's so passionate over there um, about rallying. And the events themselves are absolutely brilliant. I mean, I, you know... It, it was a great experience because the first year I did it, um, I, Siobhan was presenting the program um, and I was doing the voiceover for the program, or rather I was scripting and doing the voiceover for the program. And I did say to the organisers that, you know, if I'm scripting a show and it's an hour show, I, where am I getting my information from? Who's, who's telling me what's going on? Um, and everyone was a bit like, oh, yeah, we'll send you bits and pieces of info. I thought, no, I need to be on the events. I need to be on the events. I need to speak to these guys. If I'm going to be part of this program, I want to do it properly. I'm not half-arsing this. Mm -hmm. It's important to get it right. Um, so I came over and, you know, Siobhan was, was new to rallying. So she didn't know a huge amount about rallying. I remember being, <laughs> being introduced to her. I absolutely love Siobhan to death. She's a beautiful person inside and out but she came to meet me at breakfast in um the clayton hotel is a clayton hotel yeah. at Galway uh -huh. Rally, isn't it? Uh -huh. 
she came over to me and she said, I can't do the accent, even though I try. But she, <laughs> she said, she said, I don't know why I'm presenting this program. You're a world rally champion. You should be presenting this program. I was like, what? <laughs> I told you I'm a world rally champion. <laughs> oh, and that made me laugh at the start. We've been massive friends ever since. But anyway, she was very honest and, you know, she didn't know a huge amount about, you know, sport or whatever. So I spend a lot of my time kind of helping her with with interviews that she was doing and guiding her a bit and then, you know, getting my bits and pieces of information, getting to spectate as well, which, you know, was fantastic. Um, and I really putting in my, my life in the hands of Mick Bracken, who is certainly <laughs> not the best of drivers. He was not right on my list <laughs> to the point where the last rally we were at, which was, oh, was the last rally I was at with Mick? It was Killarney Historic in 2019. Uh, the front wheel of his car was making this incredible grinding noise uh, on passenger side now. And um, oh, I'd make there's something wrong with the wheel. He's like, oh, it's just the brakes. It's a, I'm like, Mick, this is not, I know cars, it's not the brakes, not the brake, Mick. Something wrong. Oh, we'll have a look at service. So we get to service and this noise is just getting worse and worse. And we drove into um, rugby player Scott Williams was competing there in an escort, drove into his service area because Mick is just cocky as hell, isn't he? Drives into the service area. Boys, boys, get up on the jacks. Have a look. There's something wrong with the wheel. Wheel was about to come off. Wheel was about to come off. The wheel nuts hadn't been tightened correctly and it was about to fall off. I could not be here talking to you today if we hadn't pulled into <laughs> that service area. So, yeah, but Mick Bracken, what a star he was. The whole experience was just brilliant. But I have to admit to being quite nervous when the program went out because we'd... So the way it would work is that I would be in contact with an editor back in Ireland. So I had all of my notes from things that had happened during the rally weekend, mm -hmm. things I thought we should highlight, direction we should go with. The editor then was chopping up all the, the bits and pieces and we would put them together. Then he'd send me segments of the show, which I would watch, I would script, I would voice here, and then he'd send me the next bit. So we, we put the whole show together and then I flew to Rally Mexico. And the show was going out, I think it was something like the Wednesday or the Thursday, no, no, no. Was it the weekend? It was early in the week. So I, I got to Rally, Rally Mexico the weekend before the event itself. And I remember walking around Guanajuato where the ceremonial start was with a nervous knot in my tummy, worried about the reaction back home from this first program because it was, you know, a whole different ball game now with, with Mick doing it, with, you know, Siobhan presenting with me on board as well. Um, I thought, oh, you know, how is this going to go down? How are people going to receive this? Are they going to like it? Are they going to hate it? And it was just constantly in my mind as I'm walking around this whole day. And I remember checking Twitter and the first thing I saw on it was Art McCarrick, who would put up a post saying, you know, brilliant coverage. This is, you know, great for the championship if this is the way forward. And it was like, oh, this <laughs> massive exhale uh -huh. of... Oh, thank God. You know, it's one person, but I don't care. Yeah. Someone has been positive about it. So 
I'm going to just stop worrying about it now and, and let it be what it is. Mm-hmm. Because, yeah, it, when you're doing it remotely like that, it's it's really difficult because I didn't see the absolute finished product as a whole program yes. because I'm doing these these segments. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, you want it to be received well and you want it to work. And, you know, it did. And we had a heck of a 2015 and 16 season, which I, you know, I absolutely loved. I really did. It was great to meet, you know, so many new people, new drivers. But <laughs> Manus Kelly always makes me not, not Manus. Manus was an absolute joy to interview. He was one of my favorite to interview. Um, the huge smile, yeah. and he was he <laughs> he always used to make me laugh because he always used to say my name whenever I interviewed him. Yes, he'd say, "Yeah, yes, Bex." Always, always the response back. I remember there was a gaggle of there was Manus, there was Donna, um, quite a few drivers all waiting, yeah, to go over the ceremonial start in Galway, and um, Mick was like, "Oh, you know, Donna Kelly," and I was like, "Oh, right, yeah, yeah, right, we're going to interview him now." And I was, you know, really quite trying, you know, trying to do my best, trying to be quite serious, and this big competition this weekend, big rally. Um, and he was like, ah, I said, how, you know, what have you been doing to prepare yourself, get ready for this event? Why? Well, he said, I've been drinking quite a bit of Guinness. I've just had three pints. I'm like, okay, okay. This is, this is the way it's going to go. This way is going to be. Um, and he was just a joy that, that whole season, but you know, he sticks out in my mind. Donna sticks out in my mind. Manus for being such an absolute gentleman the whole time. Um, and oh, I'm trying to remember the guy's name now and I can't remember it. But Donna Kelly wound me up something chronic, <laughs> getting a name wrong. Yeah. So, okay, you know, come to Wales and pronounce our names. Yes. It's, it's not easy. It's not simple, yeah. and I would have to, so our editor, who was, was fabulous, Niall, I'd have to ring Niall and go, shit, Niall, how do I say this name? And it would just be like a jumble of letters, which I have no idea how to pronounce. And whose name was I getting wrong? I can't even remember the guy's name now. This is really bugging me. <laughs> Give me some rally drivers' names. Declan Boyle, no. Sam Moffat, Josh Moffat. Uh, he Alex runs a dealership. I'm sure he runs a dealership. Oh, Comiskey. Um, yes! <laughs> Comiskey, yeah. yeah. So I called him Kumiski, I think. <laughs> so Donna Kelly said, who's the Polish guy we've got competing with? <laughs> and this was this was in the West Cork after party. Oh, West Cork yes. after party. So he'd gone the whole rally without saying <laughs> anything to me. And then he brings me over to Brendan and says, you know, in, I'm like, I'm so sorry. Why didn't anyone tell me? Why didn't anyone ring me and go, you've totally cocked up that name. We've now got a Polish or Russian competitor. <laughs> yes. And yeah. those West Cork after parties are just oh. a legend, aren't they? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, many. Oh, many hangovers. That was a that was a great side of, of the rally as well. I remember um oh Howard Davis, the legendary Howard Davis here in Wales said to me, Oh, you know, are you sure you're covering the Irish Tarmac Championship? Oh, that'll be some crack, girl. That'll be some crack. And I was like, I'm there to do a professional job. <laughs> But on a Sunday night, it really was, you know, any man for themselves, to be honest, go for it. You know, rally's done or whatever. The job is done. Well, the, the, the job kind of then started for me a couple of days later, getting all the footage. So you'd work the weekend doing all the bits and pieces. And then it was two days of scripting and putting together the show after it. And did, were you ever caught up with the 
infamous Donna Kelly's guitar and sing songs. Oh, yeah, many, <laughs> many times. Oh, he serenaded me quite a few times. So I'm going to remember the name of all these pubs. I'm sure this was West Cork as well. The, um, ooh, it's a little pub and the rally passes by it. Oh, yes. Uh, it's on the, the corner. Walls, the, 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 uh, four, the four walls or the four ones four, or something. Yeah. Uh, something like that. yeah. Anyway, yeah, yeah, we were there one night and he was serenading me there. He's pretty good on the old guitar, yeah. isn't he? Yes, he he's handy you enough know? with it now. <laughs> he is handy enough with the guitar and the voice isn't bad as well. Yeah. And we had, some, we had some great times and I... I loved being there because, you know, everyone would just come and chat to you and, and chat to you about rallying. And you'd, you'd spend the whole day chatting you know, either about the rally you're on or we would chat about what's going on in the WRC. And I really loved my time there. Um, yeah. And like West Cork, you know, I think it was pretty special to, to you as well. You brought, me, your yeah. mom, you brought your mom over then. I the, did. You know, the fallens, I loved Clonakilty so yeah. much um, that, yeah, I brought my mum over and we stayed at Inchidoni Hotel. Yeah. Um, and yeah, we had a lovely time. It's just a beautiful part of the world. And, you know, the organisers were incredibly welcoming there. And I, I had, a, not that I didn't have a lovely time on the other rallies, but it was West Cork, I think, which really kind of took my heart out, out of them all. Quite unusual you were then to actually get onto the stages because obviously in the WRC you don't really get that opportunity. That's right. No, I, you know, the last time I was on stages was back when I worked on the IRC because I did that for four years. I worked on the IRC as well as the WRC. So I was away for 24 weekends of the year um, from, oh, it was three years. I did 2009 to 2012. So I used to be filming. I used to be doing stage end stuff there. We worked for, um, or I worked for Peugeot UK filming with Chris Meek and Paul Nagel on every rally that they competed on on the IRC. Um, so I, that's the last time I would have been able to see rally cars. I actually, I have spectated at Sweden WRC. So the year radio changed hands, Colin and I didn't work or, at Rally Sweden for radio. Um, so Colin did some other things. I was working with Ford at the time, producing videos for them on events. So we, we went out and we actually got to see some stages and I got to, I went to Petter Solberg's um, house was right next to a stage. His house in Sweden was on one of the stages. So we went there and spectated there and that was pretty special to see World Rally Cars in snow. We drove a lot that weekend and I was driving <laughs> because my cameraman drove for, and I'm not joking, 400 metres and he put us into a snowbank. We had to get towed out. See, I've got to be behind the wheel. Yeah. It's important. Have to be under control. Go, <laughs> <laughs> remember that. But yeah, seeing cars on tarmac, though, you know, and obviously the escort has a very special place in everyone's heart <laughs> in Ireland. Here, I think yeah. to see them screaming through the tarmac stages was, yeah, it was absolutely mega. I loved it. I loved every element of of working over on the Irish Tarmac Championships. I'm and just, the, you know, hoping it'll be back in full flow next yeah, year. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. In 2022, all been well. You know, we're hopefully going to get the championship back. Would it be if the opportunity presented itself, would you be looking at coming back again? I would love to work on it again. I just don't think the opportunity would present itself, okay. unfortunately. Um, but yeah, I, I would be definitely open to working on it again because I enjoyed mm -hmm. the experience a lot. But I would be surprised if if that opportunity came up again now, 
with with the way the situation is with budgets and everything not that i cost a million dollars <laughs> or anything but you get this writer of stuff you know oh yeah yeah can you imagine <laughs> yeah. yeah i've got blue m ms and all that blue m ms only yeah absolutely <laughs> fresh filtered water from the brecon beacons as yeah. well <laughs> Oh, no, but I, I really enjoyed it. But I think I think the championship's got to get itself, you know, back on its feet now. And it, it does. I think, you know, it does need um, good media behind it, though, because mm. what you've got over there is something special in terms of that championship. And unfortunately, it, it's not being publicized the way it should be. There's lots of options for it. And I think there's lots of avenues mm -hmm. to go down with it. And, and get it out to the wider world because, you know, I understand that it's really important to for everyone in Ireland to, to be able to see it. But what you've got there is golden and it needs to be seen by a bigger audience. And I believe there are the capabilities for that to happen. Um, yeah. And like, you know, we talked earlier about Craig Breen, like what Ireland has produced onto the world level, onto the world stage, like it's, like unheard of for an island of what seven million people. You know, we have Chris, we have Craig, mm. Paul Nagel, Aaron Johnson, Chris Patterson, you know, the list continues and then never mind behind the scenes. Like yeah. it's it's phenomenal for such a small island to produce the level of talent we have. It is. It, it's a pretty special thing, but it, it's kind of like I know it isn't the absolute national sport, but the amount of rallies pr prior to COVID, obviously, mm -hmm. that you guys are doing every weekend, it, it's insane, isn't it? I mean, yeah, it, it's not sure. surprising, actually, when you look at it from that way, <laughs> yeah. the amount of rallies that go mm -hmm. on, that you have produced some some golden gems. But, yeah, you've produced some very, very special people. And, I mean, people like Paul Nagel, who have been around the WRC now for such a long time, and I think people forget that he's been there Back in the early days, 2004, five, I think, mm -hmm. yeah. with um, Gareth McHale. You know, he's, he's yeah. been around the block, says <laughs> <as> Mr. Nagel. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. And Chris yeah, Patterson, I, another one of them, oh, has been there forever. Do you know what? Too, you when know? I did his backstories podcast, yeah. I was like, right, I'll just have a quick look to see how many people he sat alongside. Well, I lost count. It was, I was like, forget it. It's pointless. <laughs> He's just sat with everyone pretty much. What? It, and I think I did call him a bit of a tart. You know, he's just, any opportunity, he's there in the seat. <laughs> Which was then quite a contrast to interviewing Julian Ingracia, who'd sat along side one person for yeah. ho the whole of his professional career mm -hmm. and Chris mm -hmm. Patterson I, I think we were up into the 30s with the amount of people he'd, he'd sat it, alongside. I think it's James O'Brien I think there was somebody called him the Heinz Beans of, of co-drivers. 57 different Brian's. <laughs> <laughs> yeah that's a good one yeah. that is a good one yeah. but I you know you, you have people like like Chris who has such a you know, a huge wealth of knowledge and passion about the sport and is now really committed to helping younger co-drivers, you know, mm -hmm. step up the ladder. Because I think it's an intimidating world, especially if you get thrust into WRC at quite a young age. Mm -hmm. You know, it is a big sport to come into with some very serious players in terms of the manufacturers. It's not like rallying at home no. where, you know, there's there's much, much less pressure. It's it's a real, you know, pressure cooker of an environment mm -hmm. on our event events. Um, and that can be, 
quite intimidating I feel for you know the younger drivers but then you've got people like Aaron who are handling the whole situation that he's in so well right now Mm -hmm. when you know he's he's been a joy to to listen to but you know also watch how he's interacting with everyone how you know friendly he is around the service park how Mm -hmm. much he is you know spending time with people and you know making the most of you know his opportunity and I'm, I'm really delighted that he's now got the seat alongside Taka for next year. Absolutely yeah it's worked very well for him and then you know like we, we sort of brushed on it a wee bit earlier woman in motorsport you know like since Michelle Mouton the early 80s mm. there, there, you know there's been a few like Louise Egan Walker and but there's nobody that's made the, the big breakthrough onto the world level really. Is, is there anything more initiatives out there that could be put in place to help to bridge that gap do you think i think there's always options to have more opportunities especially for you know female drivers and i know with the fia with women in motorsport they have great opportunities right now for girls who are competing in circuit racing Mm -hmm. so they have a program called girls on track um, from which you know they select girls each year to move forward into formula four And that's an incredible initiative in circuit racing. I would love to see something similar in rallying. I think rallying for for anyone is a difficult sport to get into, Um, maybe more so from a a female perspective um, in, in the sense of, you know, acquiring sponsorship or even just getting started, whereas circuit racing may be a little bit easier to break through into you know, from from a karting perspective, because mm-hmm. you can start pretty early in your career mm-hmm. in karting and move your way through the ranks there. And you don't really have, obviously, a similar situation in rallying because you need your license. So, you OK, you could yeah. start in karts and, you know, Craig started mm-hmm. in karts. And a lot of drivers have started that way um, before they, they've switched into rallying. I think it's, it is a difficult one. Um, and, you know, we do see some incredible breakthrough drivers like Molly Taylor, for example, mm-hmm. who has just had the most incredible career. I mean, to win the Australian Rally Championship title outright the way mm-hmm. she did was super impressive. Yeah. Um, she's doing really well in Extreme E right now as well. Mm-hmm. And I know she would dearly love to come back into the WRC. That's the ultimate for mm-hmm. her. But then it's getting the money to be able to yeah. do that. You know, it's always that sponsorship, isn't it? You know, which so many people are, are caught out by and so many careers, which could have been fantastic curtailed. Yeah. There's so many times we sit down, at, we're having a coffee in the service park. And we're talking about drivers from the past. Oh, my God, I completely forgot about him. What yeah. happened to him? And it's like, oh, he didn't have money. any budget, didn't <laughs> yeah. have any money. You're like, oh, all, you know, yeah. all these people. And I think sometimes... Our, even our drivers, you know, a few of them have said to me, they forget how lucky they are to be in the position they're in, mm-hmm. in that, you know, yes, they've worked very hard. And when I interviewed Sebastian Auger at the start of the year for the Backstories podcast, he was telling me when he uh, entered Rally June, which is the program that Loeb came through, that Adrian Formo has come through, it cost him 20 euros to enter that competition in France, yes. 20 euros. And he said to me, look at, look at the payback I've had from spending yeah. 20 euros to enter this rally competition mm-hmm. and then have the backing of the FFSA. And I think for in many countries, it, you know, it is a lot to do with the structure of your, your motorsport program and, and how the funding is, is passed through to young up and coming talent. You know, they seem to, 
I've had many arguments about this over the years with many different people because I've I've said from early 2000s the FFSA have got it right and they have because now they've produced two world champions potentially we're seeing another coming through now in in Formo with his incredible talent Um, they know where to put the money and how to how to bring on young talent. And mm-hmm. I think it's a program that a lot of people should really look very hard at and try and replicate. Yeah, because like here in Ireland, we have the Motorsport Ireland Academy. And like yeah. that's starting to pay dividends, you know, with Josh no, absolutely. Wall Creighton and Callum Devine. You but know, I think that's, that's taken a turn in the past few years, hasn't yeah, it? You know, the past five yeah, years, so that has really it ramped, itself, ramped up. itself up and mm-hmm. it's given such opportunity. Mm-hmm. And, and that's the way it should be. You know, you're finding the best of the talent mm-hmm. and putting the money behind them. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, hopefully now we can, you know. So I suppose we'll start to wrap up. Uh, coming into 2022, mm. new generation of cars. Yeah. Um, how excited are you to, you know, to hit the reset button and go again now in Monte Carlo? <laughs> I'm really quite excited to press the stop button, to be <laughs> honest, right now. <laughs> <laughs> stop would be good just for yeah. like a week just to stop and not think about rally car it's impossible yeah. because yeah. every day we're all gossiping on whatsapp yeah. and we're looking at testing videos and this that the other and today um we had a, a really great opportunity to speak to the technical director of toyota for an hour about yeah. the new hybrid system and next year and toyota's development And that was so exciting to listen to Tom Fowler, who I'm sure you will know, he started his days at M Sport and was at M Sport for many, many years um, before switching to uh, to Toyota. We did something in between, but he then went to Toyota and is now the technical director there. And the way he was describing the car, what made me laugh is that you would have seen it. Lots of testing images have come out of the Toyota with various different spoilers different yeah. aero yeah front bumpers whatever yeah all of, all of them all mm-hmm. of them just to throw everybody else and yeah. hyundai yeah none of them none of them were are actually going to be on the car um <laughs> uh the car that oj was testing in the past few days is the car that will right. be used at okay. rally monte carlo and to hear him talk about you know the challenges they faced as engineers as technical specialists to create a brand new hybrid rally car and everything around that. I'm excited by it because you can tell he's excited by it. And yes, you know, like we had in 2017 when the cars first started, there are going to be issues. There are going to be reliability issues and different ones, I'm sure, for each team, as Mm -hmm. it was in 2017. Lots of them suffered different issues. Um, I'm sure we will see that this year. One of the journalists asked him today, you know, um, is is the 2022 car going to be slower than the 2017 car? And they said, you know, per, you know, per kilometer, how much in terms of seconds is it going to be slower? Because the car is heavier than, than the previous car. And he said, well, you know, there are going to be big occasions where it's going to be a lot quicker than, than the 2017 car. But, the, you know, if, if you're talking on a straight piece of road, for example, where you have pure acceleration, that is where you're going to see blistering speed, much, much quicker than the previous car. But if you're talking tight, twisty, technical, then the other car comes back into play. But it's going to be interesting to see. And this is what I'm excited about, is to see the development from what we see at Rally Monte Carlo to what we see at the end of the year when we go Mm -hmm. to Rally Japan and the tarmac. And the development, the technical process they will go through to hone it 
to make it quicker, to make it more agile. Mm-hmm. Um, that that's what excites me about rally cars. Okay, yes, the speed, the noise, yeah. but it's how the engineers in their incredible craft can use all these tricks to to make it just a far, far better car. So Yeah, and working yeah, within such tight confines exactly, as well. Exactly, you know, really tight true. constrictions. I mean, mm-hmm. we were talking today about the limitations that they have and how they have to really, you know, double-check themselves on, on various things that they're doing. So I think, you know, we'll see the cars in Monte Carlo, but I'm looking forward to seeing them in Japan and mm-hmm. to see how far we've come in a year. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, come a few years' time, when the, these cars then will be... Yeah. Oh, the, the best cars car, ever! Like, like, yeah. like, like our 2017 <laughs> car was yeah. the best ever car. Yeah. It wasn't. No driver said that in 2017. Yeah. I remember that year well because none of the drivers were fans of the cars then. Oh, they're this, the, 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 the. Yeah. and now you know they love them. Yeah, they're the best car them, ever. Yeah. Uh-huh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and like you know, it's isn't it like isn't it amazing? Like a mill here, you know, two mills here. 10 grams here yeah. can make such a difference in this. It makes a huge difference. Yeah, it's so fascinating how they can tweak all that and make it all work and, you know, make it, it can either make it so right or so wrong. Yeah, it is. I mean, I'm, I'm really going to be fascinated to see the fans' reaction when they actually see the cars in Monte Carlo and the things they'll be able to, to pick up on, the different positioning of things. For instance, like the spare tyre in the back of the car is far more to the rear of the car yeah. due to space. And, you know, that's the last place it really should be weight distribu- distribution wise. Mm-hmm. However, that's what they have to work with. That's what they've had to adapt with. Mm-hmm. There's different things on the rear, which I'm going to be keen to see if any spectators actually spot them mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. certainly on the Toyota anyway. Mm-hmm. Not going to tell you, no, see if you can spot them. Tuned. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll revisit this podcast and we'll see if you spot them. Yes. After <laughs> and then with also with Mr. OJ stepping away from the sport, it's going to, well, on a full-time basis, it's going to open up the championship, you know, for for hopefully a new champion. Um, yeah. It could, yeah. It's probably going to be one of the most open years there's been in a few years. Yeah, maybe. But then, you know, O'Shea's been given a good run for his money over the past few yeah. years. Okay, he he looked as if he had this one tied up, true. didn't he? As, yeah, true. You yeah. know, pretty yeah. early on. Simple. And then Elvin decided that, no, I'm having yeah. none of that. I'm coming back at you. Mm-hmm. Um but yeah, okay, you know, we normally go into every season with Ogier as favourite, and obviously this time that's not going to be the case. You know, if you were looking around at, at drivers, then you've got to look at Elvin Evans and his consistency and his ability to be able to win rallies, which is yeah. a huge thing. Once you've won one, they will come. Uh, <laughs> but it's getting, it's <laughs> getting that first one on the board, which can be really, really difficult. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think there's so many drivers that can, you know, fight for the championship next year. Mm-hmm. And I know definitely, you know, the man we've been talking about, Craig Breen, is is up for that fight straight away because we were we were very lucky to be able to interview him before the news, even though it was the worst kept secret <laughs> in rallying history that he was going to M Sport. Um, still, it wasn't confirmed um, until you know after Rally Finland, after his last event with Hyundai and. We finished the post-event FIA press conference and I took Craig over to the hotel in the service park that he was staying at and we interviewed him there to reveal this exclusive news. He had to change out of his Hyundai overalls and into something neutral and and we did the interview there. 
And uh, it was really odd because we were walking with his Hyundai PR to the hotel and his Hyundai PR Thomas just kind of turned to him and went, well, I guess this is goodbye. I guess this is it. And he was oh. like, oh, there's another good goodbyes. I'll cry. Go, go. <laughs> and, um, you know, and it was like, well, that's that era done. That's, that's finished. He's he's on the podium. He's done the press conference. Goodbye and he's, good luck. <laughs> goodbye and good luck. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he, I said to him in that interview, do, you know, in your first year with the brand new regulations, with a brand new card, will you be able to fight for the championship? And he was just like, absolutely. You know, I, I will be. And it's that confidence. And mm-hmm. he seems to be getting on really well with the car from from what we're hearing from from mm-hmm. testing. Um, which is which is fantastic. It's what you know. It's what we all want to see. We all want to see as many drivers as possible fighting yeah. for the title at the end mm-hmm. of the year. Yeah. Um, you know, I love being in the situation where we're going into the closing rounds, and it, it is a real bun fight between a number of people, because you get this incredible buzz, and it, it's the same buzz as we all get going to Rally Monte Carlo, first rally of the season. Yeah, everything's back on. Here we go with the championship, and there's goosebumps, and you know, there's a little bit of not nerves in your tummy, it's just butterflies because you're excited yeah. to start it all again. And that's the way you feel then at the end of the season when there's a title battle. Yeah, like the fevers build. Yeah, absolutely. Just want, it just yeah. builds and builds. And yes, there's there's pressure on the drivers and there's pressure on us as well to, to get things right, to get that interview, to get this, get this moment, make sure that's on camera, film that <laughs> yes. moment. By the end of the weekend, you're like, oh, I just want to sleep for 48 hours now. I am spent because you're trying to get as much coverage and get as much out there for everyone around the world as you possibly can. Yes. And myself and Julian Porter, we are both manic in that oh, we need to film, we need to do this, we need because yeah. we want everyone to see as much as we're seeing. Yes. Um, it's really important, but then you completely knacker yourselves. Yeah, because you, like, there could it's be some it. wee small detail if you miss it on the Friday that could prove incredibly relevant on the, yeah. the Sunday, you know? <laughs> yeah. It could be like yeah. a set of tires or something, you know? Like yeah, no, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, we, we love it. That's why we kind of push 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 and push on events till we're all really knackered and then we do sleep for 48 hours <laughs> <laughs> so not asking you to name names but i presume you have a favorite and then so so how, how do you cope when your favorite isn't having a good rally connor edwards how very dare you yeah. <laughs> um actually i don't have a favorite <gasps> I know that's going to sound hard for you to believe, but I don't have, I know Elvin is Welsh and I'm Welsh and I will let you into a little secret that um, Emmer um, Penlan, who was working with us on All Live, hasn't worked with us for the past year. He presents Rallyo, which is our Welsh mm-hmm. programme um, rally show. Both of us carry what we call flag in a bag, which is a Welsh flag in a bag, just in case Elvin wins and he wants a Welsh flag and then we've got it for him. That's the only reason we can't, it's always with us somewhere. And Emmer hasn't been on rallies. Oh, he was in Monza, but he hadn't been during uh, the 2021 season. And when Elvin was doing well, he'd always text me, have you got flag in a bag? <laughs> You're the yes, <laughs> I've got flag in a bag. It's okay. But honestly, I, you know, I don't have a favorite. Um, uh, you know, I went into Monza, not, not minding who won the championship, Ogier or Evans. It really didn't matter to me. Um, I have a huge respect for all of the drivers and there's no one that I don't like. <laughs> so it's, you know, it's, yeah, I just haven't got a favorite. Okay. I, haven't got a, it, I haven't got an ultimate favorite. Right. And 
does it break your heart when Mads isn't having a good rally? Oh, it, yeah. It, you it, see, it, when, yeah. Hey. Do you know what? Yeah, because uh, I've known Mads for such a long time and we get on great and I love him in commentary. We have such a good time together. And then when it, you know, he is having a tough time on events and you see it. I just like, oh, mate, I just I want to hug you and I can't hug you because <laughs> he really he wears his heart on his sleeve as well. Um, sometimes in a very exuberant fashion <laughs> yes. at, at the stage ends. Um, He's having problems with tires and things, you know. <laughs> oh, yeah. It was a Sardinia when he had his massive swearing outburst. Yes. <laughs> and Chris, Chris Meek was in commentary at that point. And he said to me, how's it been over the top? Was it? <laughs> yeah i'm sure he realized that but um yeah it is difficult when when some of them are having really tough times and they are wearing it's the same with craig because he gets so emotional and you feel for him um then yeah i think i feel maybe quite protective over craig if if i was he's not saying he's my favorite but you feel different things to some of the drivers like you know people like sebastian ogier is uber confident you know he doesn't need anyone's shoulder to cry on Mm -hmm. but you know when Craig came back into the WRC after a really difficult time with what had happened with Gareth um, and he came back to Rally Finland with Paul at his side and he spent I was out in the media zones interviewing um, for radio at the time and I remember him coming into one service break and he was white as a sheet, just completely like the world had been taken away from him. And I can, you know, I was chatting away. And I was like, oh, Lacey, yeah, Craig Breen's just come in. And I just go and grab a few words of Craig. And he got out and I could see how he looked. And I was like, Lisa, just going to come back in a few minutes. Just, you know, put, put a song on. We'll, we'll be back in a few minutes. And I, you know, put the microphone down and, and give him a hug because, you know, that's what, that's just he, what he needed. needed that he needed. <laughs> and you, you kind of... <sighs> and you know how are you mate yeah I'm fine it's difficult it's you know it's tough and you you know there are moments like that I think that you know you've gone through even gone through that kind of moment with with Ogier when he was really kind of struggling with Citroen back in the day and everything he did was the wrong thing and no one liked him (laughs) because he was um Colin used to call call him infant infant terrible the terrible child because he was um you know just so he always spoke you know exactly what he felt and i remember speaking to him and this was at an after party and no one was talking to him like literally none of the drivers are talking to him uh i was like are you are you okay he's like yeah yeah i'm fine i'm fine just i say what i feel and i remember saying to him and it's such a corny line oh god (laughs) kick myself i'm like you don't need I was like, you just let let your driving do the talking. You don't need to do the talking. Just yes. let let that happen. But you know, they all go through difficult times, and you know, you, you, I've been with them for a, a lot of years. You know, you kind of you've seen them grow. Like from exactly, this, like I've seen them grow up. Twenty year olds coming right up through. You know. So. Yeah, exactly. So you know, kind of a bit like Auntie Bex in yeah. a way. You know, come tell me your problems, mm-hmm. and you know, we'll have a chat about it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you you, you kind of you do feel like that. So I haven't you know haven't got a favourite out of all of them. Mm-hmm. I just you know you like them all. Yeah, cool. So I think we'll start wrapping up now. So before we finish up, we're going to do like a wee random questions. <laughs> Have a sip of my Bailey's before you yes. do that. <laughs> <laughs> you, may, you may need a bigger cup. <laughs> mm. 
going to hit me random questions. Oh, quick fire right. round. Okay. Quick fire round, exactly. Well, well, we'll start with an easy one. Wine or gin? Oh, that's easy. Gin every time. <laughs> but the hangover's horrendous. But gin. Very good. Standout memory from your years covering the WRC. What's the one thing that just, that's, that's the memory for you? Oh. For the love of God, could you come up with an easier question? <laughs> oh, my standout memory. Oh, okay. Uh, okay, I've got one. It was probably the changing of the guard when Auger won the championship on the power stage of Rally Alsace, which was the first stage of the rally. That was the only time the power stage was the first stage of the rally. Mm. He won the championship. Loeb's years were as champion work were done and that's the memory OJ coming into the service park his fans screaming singing him and Julian up on stage as I interviewed them Jos Capito all mm. singing together yeah and seeing Loeb's face on the big screen as as um as OJ was being celebrated yeah it was the kind of the changing of the guard so it's definitely a standout moment you're a constant traveller. Mm. What's your one tip or your one hack you would share? <laughs> now, I'm going to share a hack, but this is, I mean, Connor, I'm looking at you now. You've got some pretty good hair going on, so this might work for you. Sorry, Kevin. Sorry, Kevin. This might not be so no. handy for you, but there are very early starts in rallying, very late finishes for us. You know, an average day we're starting, we're in the service park at five or six o'clock in the morning. We get back at nine. If you're a girl with long hair, washing your hair is a bit of a drama on a WRC event. Dry hair shampoo is the best thing ever invented. That is my travel hack. Never travel without it. Sorry to anyone who hasn't got much hair that's listening. It's not a help, but if you've got any hair at all, use it and then you never have to wash it, especially if it's long. See, short hair, you can just wash it really quickly and it dries, but try and wash this and let it dry at the Arctic Rally when it freezes on you and then breaks. I just need a fist cloth. <laughs> that's my travel hack anyway. Right, very good. In the service park, do you know the characters so well now that you can judge by body language how you're going to approach them? Yes, absolutely. I think it's one of the, the strengths of knowing people really well is being able to look at them and think, oh, I can, you know, I can ask deeply probing questions here or hit them with a difficult question or I need to build up a little bit to that difficult question, which is my tactic normally. Right. And away from the WRC, what's the one thing people would be surprised to learn about you oh uh, probably that I covered the winter olympics twice and traveled to salt lake city in america and traveled to turin in italy and my select sport was uh skeleton and luge so maybe and you still keep up to date with them <laughs> I do indeed I do indeed so maybe they'd be surprised to know that I'm a bit of a winter sports um, addict maybe and last one if you could change anything about the format of the WRC what would it be Ooh, cracking question if I could change anything about the format well obviously I'd make the rallies a whole week long so that we could have more rally action every single day <laughs> um but because every time it finishes on a Sunday I'm never ready it's like oh come on we, we're here now may as well just extend it by a couple of days 
no one's gonna mind uh, but i do know that this kind of format now gives us exciting action um uh, i would like the ability for us to be able to cover more championships on all live right now we can't do that because everything is so tight um in terms of stage turnarounds and uh, yeah, we need the plane circling above stages to be able to get live pictures. Um, so I, I'd like the ability magically somehow <laughs> to be able to do that. Uh, yeah, that's that's it. Make them a bit longer, <laughs> a week. And uh, yeah, and that, two things. See, I've gone overboard now, Connor, giving me options. I'm not going to stop thinking about it because I'll come up with more otherwise. <laughs> All I'm hearing is Bex wants a second plane. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Show me the money. Bring me the second plane. <laughs> well, Bex... I can't thank you enough for taking the time for joining us oh, here now this evening. It was a, an absolute pleasure. And really enjoyed their chat and keep that checklist going on as, as long as you can. <laughs> <laughs> I will. It has, it has actually been a pleasure. I'm not a fan of being interviewed because I'm normally the interviewer. Yes. So I'm, it's an unusual situation for me. But the Baileys has helped, I feel, <laughs> even if I did only manage three sips of it during the whole interview. <laughs> Um, but no, it's been really nice to yeah, chat to you. Alcohol dulls the pain. <laughs> <laughs> it does, so yeah. they say. I'm going to sound like a right alcoholic now. I honestly have only had three sips of it because I've been talking a lot. I promise you, but I'm going to glug it down now that we've finished. Yeah. Well, it was an absolute pleasure and really appreciate you taking the time. Um, hopefully we'll catch up with you soon. Excellent. Thank you very much. That was Bex Williams, Connor Edwards and myself, Kevin Glendunning, talking about earlier. I'd just like to take this opportunity to wish everyone a very happy Christmas and an absolutely brilliant 2020. I have really appreciated all your kindness, your downloads, your views, your likes, everything over the past year. Yeah, the reaction to these podcasts has just completely blown me away. So hopefully plenty more to come in 2022. And the year ahead of rallying is looking very exciting in the WRC. And touch wood and fingers crossed, never knows, we'll return to the stages in Ireland here as well in 2022. So until the next time, take care, speak soon, and bye.